Welcome to the Hotel Analyst Podcast. This week, as ever, we'll be covering three topics that have caught our eye in the recent news within the hotel investment sector globally. Uh, and as ever, if you are a subscriber, you can read more about these three topics and three more in our weekly perspective, which uh, comes to you online as a subscriber. If you're not subscribing, why not? Pop along to Hotel Analyst and get your subscription now. Before we get into our topics, let me introduce the team around the desk of insight. Leading us is Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Alongside him, I'm not saying whether left or right, <laughs> is Catherine Dogrell, our perspectives editor, uh, joined also by me, Chris Bowne. I am the web editor and produce the daily news. So first off, we're going to talk about Amadeus. They've been uh, doing some research uh, alongside intercontinental hotels who they are working with on improved platform. Uh, Catherine, would you like to run through a little bit of what they've found? Um, yes, well, what they've found, and, and this won't come as a shock to hotel investors, is that people want choice. They do. And of course, Marriott and everyone has been keen to point out that people want choice. They do, they do, they do. And most of the time, the people they're looking at are hotel investors. But it turns out that people want choice too. And it's not just whether they've got a hammock in their room or whether they've got a double bed. They really, really would like to choose not to sleep next to the lift or to sleep with, you know, an exciting extra view of this or view of that. And um, other companies kind of danced around this um, to an extent. But um, obviously, Amadeus and IHG have been working together and they are now making it so that you can book with extra choice like what the people want um and so you know everyone's moving forward in the same direction it's all very exciting but for hotels of course any single opportunity to have them over on the otas has been snatched up and i think hotels maybe were hoping that they could use this as a point of differentiation and amadeus are being a bad partner and saying that no i'm afraid not if you offer one thing to one person you have to offer it through all possible um, <coughs> routes of distribution so Good news for those of us who want to pay less and sleep next to a lift. Um, bad news for the hotels, they're going to have to find some other way to encourage direct booking. Mm. So that's what we've been learning this week. Best thing about this report was it didn't talk a lot of nonsense about millennials and how different they are. Thank the Lord for that. There's far too many reports on technology uh, purporting to represent some great insight by telling us all how millennials use mobile phones or millennials all want choice etc etc it's all complete nonsense we're all using mobiles and we all want choice uh, the other and I think the most important thing about this report is what Catherine's already highlighted um, and this goes to the distinction we make at Hotel Analyst between the product brand and the retail brand. And hoteliers have got to get over themselves and start accepting that they're in the business of branding a product. Um, and there are many other retailers out there, not just themselves. They can't clobber people by restricting their choice um, um, and forcing them to just buy through their own channels. They should embrace the diversity that's out there in terms of distribution, as they always have done historically. Um, and uh, you know, don't feel so threatened by it and just focused on the opportunities that's being presented with these new distribution channels. Uh, it's We're beginning to see some sort of accommodation come here. It's not a case of hoteliers abandoning their own 
retail channel um, but I think they're going to be having to place a lot less emphasis on it and it, it, it's good to see a report coming out by a major technology provider which isn't banging on about booking direct and is actually embracing the way hoteliers can work across all the different channels and actually start to provide guests with something meaningful by making you know accessible technology technology actually isn't exciting in and of itself um, but actually makes the consumer experience that much more special at the end of the day that's what Apple's genius was and it remains is they're not really at the cutting edge of technology what they're at the cutting edge of is is bringing that technology and making it usable for consumers and that's what hotels need to focus on making it usable and using technology in a way which actually enhances that whole consumer experience and certainly choosing your own room is a great one um, for that but there's there's many more we're going to see um, it, it remains to be seen how some of the other fancier technologies virtual reality um, the internet of things with stuff like beacons what kind of impact that's going to have um, there's huge amounts of questions around uh, privacy um, and data protection how well we're going to be able to customize or how well rather hoteliers are going to be able to customize customer experiences given the restrictions and all of that so there's there's a bunch of challenges ahead in terms of this shiny new future um, Amadeus has, has forecast for us all but I think this is certainly one of the the, the best efforts I've seen to date in, in, in looking at what lies ahead yes yeah, so I think one of the things going back to Apple that they were very convincing about in the report um, was that as Apple was one of the first or the first technology company to sell products that didn't have instruction manuals with them because they were intuitive and simple and the point here is that we see so many technology driven rooms which have an iPad to control all of the lighting and all the rest of it and these things are just never used <clears throat> you turn up and they're covered in dust because they're not what people want. Um, and as we said, what people want is to be able to pay less and be irritated more, but not complain about it by having a room next to a lift. Um, <laughs> so simple progress. I think we've, we've seen over so the last five years, lots of exciting technological progress, which has been sold to us, which hasn't been technological progress at all. And that's not just front of house. That's all sorts of booking systems, which are unnecessarily confusing and don't work together. Um, people don't know their PMS from their whatever else. And uh, some kind of progress towards just the simple things once again with hotels when I'm booking them I don't want there to be 50 different levels to booking it just the two or three if that at all is fine and surely um, what's going to happen is that uh, once hotel groups get the hang of being able to work out uh, which room is which and which ones they're going to market uh, at which different prices then will the OTAs not be in danger of becoming the the place where you get the rooms by the lift. It's already the place where you get the rooms by the lift. Uh, so, so yes, <laughs> but this way you've- More of the same. Exactly, more of the same for the OTAs. This way you've chosen the room by the lift. So you're not lying there fuming, thinking I'm gonna find everybody and kill them, but except I won't have the strength because I haven't had any sleep. Um, you're thinking I paid significantly less it's all okay, I bought my earplugs, everything's gonna be fine, I paid 50p for this room. 
and that's how you do it. You have to prepare the customer, and the customer chose it themselves, is what you shout at them when they come down. Expectations met. Exactly. So at 3 yes. o'clock in the morning, when they come down all livid and red-eyed, you can say, oh, I'm sorry, sir, this is exactly what you chose in yeah. your face. I, I think the, the people have got to start thinking, hoteliers need to start thinking more carrot, less stick, and the, the stick is, is sticking them people buy the lift if they've booked through an OTA. Um, in reality, I, I think it makes sense to offer some financial incentives and maybe the availability of upgrades and stuff like that if you book through the loyalty scheme, etc., etc. But you can't punish people um, for booking you know by their preferred method and the simple fact is that uh, it, it is easier remains easier to use the apps and use the booking channels uh, w with dedicated retailers such as the OTAs and it's very hard to see hoteliers ever getting completely on top of that and they just need to embrace that and and celebrate you know that, that and, well, and focus on becoming the, the the best product on the shelves of those retailers that's the that's the key to this so uh, less stick more carrot well I think you're absolutely right Andrew I was I was away last week and I booked um, a hotel in Barcelona using hotel tonight and at the very point where I thought shall I try and find this hotel direct on the internet I thought Do you know what no let's just book it because all it took was my finger swiping the letter H or the shape of a bed and that was it. Book Indeed paid. and you should have been able to phone that hotel and say hi I'm about to book at this rate on hotel tonight do you want to take a tenner off but you find somebody in the hotel who knows what on earth you're talking about and I congratulate you. Now then let's move on to our next topic but before we do I'm just going to briefly mention the hotel operations conference coming up very soon uh, later this month on the 22nd of May and um, if you're in the business of running hotels then maybe you should be getting yourself along to it I would thoroughly recommend you getting yourself a delegate pass uh, we have got a fantastic program including some senior executives from some of the major hotel operating companies and owners uh, We'll have a full full on program all day, which will deliver a great deal of value to everyone who comes along. We are, of that we are very convinced. So, if you're in hotel operations or management and want to know just what the market is thinking about and get some tips and ideas for improving your bottom line, then get along to uh, hoteloperationsconference.com to find out more. Next up, we're going to talk about um, uh, we're going to talk about. GHA, the Global Hotel Alliance. Uh, that's one of the smaller marketing groups that uh, seems to be thriving in uh, the hotel sector despite their long predicted demise as the big brands took over. It seems the smaller brands are grouping up and very effectively uh, driving not just joint marketing programs but also uh, their own uh, loyalty programs too. Um, and Corinthia Hotels is the latest to uh, make a financial commitment with a shareholding in the, the Global Hotel Alliance, uh, following on from investments recently also by the Minor Hotel Group and Pan Pacific. Uh, Catherine's been taking a closer look at uh, how this is succeeding where others may have not expected them to. Yes, no, they're refusing to back down. Um, <laughs> which it's very irritating for everyone, um, apart from them. But um, we are seeing these this group banding together and pushing their loyalty program. Um, there was much chat when the investment from um, Minor came in last year <clears throat> about where this was all going to go. And where it still is going to go isn't completely clear because they're going to put the money into the loyalty program and all be revealed. Um, so I think it's interesting. They have quite a few brands, um, such as Kempinski, where you would 
find yourself building the kind of the natural loyalty that that we'd all kind of forgotten about um, before we had loyalty programs the kind of loyalty where you knew about this great hotel and you wanted to go there um, more than once so they have that and several of the other hotels in the group do as well although not all so it's kind of intriguing. Um, I think the relationship between minor and NH is one which hasn't been tapped yet. Um, NH isn't, um, as far as I remember the top of my head actually, um, a member itself, I don't think it is. Um, and so should that join, um, obviously it has less of the kind of the hotels which you would want to, <laughs> want to go back to. That sounds absolutely terrible if you're listening from NH. There's plenty of hotels you'd want to go back to, but maybe not iconographic hotels. And um, But if they were to come in, it would give more of the actual scale that you need for the kind of the modern loyalty program as opposed to the loyalty driven loyalty program so kind of there is in an interesting position at the moment i'll be intrigued to see what happens with their loyalty program once they've put all the investment in and got something out the other end but a definite third way potential here if this was a shampoo advert uh, at this point i would shake my flowing locks and say here comes the science part um, this isn't a shampoo advert and I have hardly any hair left on me um, but I am going to be talking about something slightly technical so bear with it from bear with me. Um, and it's the difference between horizontal integration and vertical integration so the, the hotel industry has been vertically disintegrating there's been a separation between the real estate bit the operating company bit and the brand bit and we bang on about this a lot of hotel analyst where we have seen consolidation is in the horizontal bit so the brand companies are coming together there's been growth in terms of the asset owners so in Europe we've seen we can see companies like Pandox for example uh, grow in size and strength and that there's growth in the operating company bit um, this is an example I would contend of horizontal integration um, in, in the brand piece um, and the loyalty space and it's a different take on it and it's attempts by mid-sized uh, chains which are also fairly asset heavy still uh, which are unable to to stump up individually the cash to to be competitive in terms of this loyalty area on their own they've grouped together and are making a stab at building a sort of global brand um, loyalty scheme and I think they're doing a pretty good attempt at it uh, I, th I think the challenge for them is whether they're going to be able to be uh, able to make decisions quickly enough and fast enough and whether there's any infighting amongst them to do certain things and to change certain things uh, so they, they don't have the luxury of being a sort of top-down having that 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 that, that approach and it, it's very much a sort of bottom-up approach um, and you know being the CEO of this organization must be quite challenging it's very much a job for a diplomat rather than a dictator but you know, I think it can succeed. It's very, it's, it's a very interesting option, um, and, and we'll just wait and see how well it all works out. And on now to our third topic, and uh, we're going to talk a bit about Africa, land of opportunity for hoteliers, uh, seemingly the permanent land of opportunity with so little uh, actual results to show for uh, those that, that hoped for opening. Uh, one or two companies like Resdor have been quite good at getting into Africa. Um, but uh, Catherine's been casting her eye over the latest development pipeline survey for the continent and uh, what 
are the headlines? Uh, <coughs> yes, onwards, onwards in Africa. Everyone's always going onwards. Um, <coughs> we are seeing some movement forward. Um, there was a slight drop in the total number of hotels in the pipeline, according to the W Hospitality Research. But onwards, onwards they all go, and everyone's announcing more and more. And we're starting to see um, the results of some of the funds that people have been putting together, because you'll recall that there was a, a time when really only Residor was able to uh, develop in Africa, and people seemed absolutely mystified by this. What is their secret sauce? What are they doing? Are they more friendly? Are they better brands? No, no, no. They were putting actual money. Not necessarily their money, but they put together a fund, uh, the Afrinor Fund, which invested actual cash. And nothing really kickstarts something like investing actual cash and uh, and not just having a nice logo and a pillow menu. Um, it's transpired. So after a while of this, um, people kind of work this out. Um, and Hilton has a fund and Ackle has a fund and they are reaping the rewards of that fund. So... Um, so it's kind of intriguing. The one group which um, has the biggest pipeline but doesn't have a fund is Marriott. So it's kind of an interesting play on the, or interesting test of the scale argument. Of course, Marriott formed its dominant position in Africa by buying Pratia. And that's all fine and dandy. If you've got loads of money, Marriott's got loads of money. It all works out very nicely. Other funds have loads of money, but there's nothing to buy particularly. So if you do want to grow, you do need to spend. And we should be intrigued to see whether Marriott is able to convince people that it has a great deal of brands and scale and the arguments that it makes all over the rest of the world with a great deal of success, whether it can pull this off in Africa or whether it too will need to have a dandily named fund. We watch this space with interest. The challenge with Africa is uh, when you compare it to other emerging markets and, well, I would suggest China's an emerged market. Um, but if you compare it to China and, in, say, India, uh, which is a market of huge opportunity too, um, Africa has many, many countries um, and many, many political systems and many, many legal systems. And for investors, it's challenging getting your head around all of that for what for each individual market is a relatively small opportunity. Um, that, sure, there are some bigger countries, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, but none of those compare with the opportunity that is there in China, is there in India. So I think something Africa has to is, is, is challenged in that regard and frankly it, it's also challenged in terms of its comparative political instability um, which is um, somewhat ironic sitting in a country like the UK um, but, uh, uh, but certainly that does weigh on, on, on investors minds and, and again I think we'll, we'll get back to this, this thing we talked about earlier in terms of vertical versus horizontal and it's interesting that we're seeing signs of of this in in Africa too with the emergence of uh, operating dedicated operating companies with this deal between Intercontinental Hotels Group and Valor Hospitality um, Valor being the operating partner for the IHG brands and it's interesting that this approach is being used in Africa uh, traditionally most people would have suggested well you, you you're not going to be able to go and franchise in in um, young markets like Africa or most of the African countries um, it, it takes a while you have to see these markets mature before you can go out there with a franchise offer you you need independent entrepreneurs etc etc but this approach with valor I think shortcuts that and that, that that's an it's an interesting way it's a, it's a way the brands can 
truly roll out quickly across Africa if it works out. And to an extent, um, you know, Accor has adopted that with a few, if you look at somewhere like Morocco, um, where they uh, bought into an existing local operating company um, and put their brands atop their hotels um, and eventually just absorbed the the op- whole operating company and sold off the, the real estate underneath it um, so y- you can see those sort of operations happening um, um, and, and continuing but uh, I, I think Africa will remain um, a, a challenge to access from a traditional uh, a more traditional model so you've got to have these more creative solutions and this, uh, this story reminds me actually that back in 2015 I wrote uh, a piece about Accor uh, when they uh, they signed up a deal to apparently brand and manage 50 hotels in Angola. Um, at the time I was sort of slightly incredulous but they'd got a local developer who was actually already building uh, those hotels. Um, and uh, I suppose it's just an example of how, how sometimes these deals don't work out. Uh, these hotels are still uh, all exist and all look like they've been opened in Angola but they're actually not being run by Accor and they're not branded Accor they're actually uh, still in the hands of the uh, local investor and developer who uh, seems to be running them for themselves these days so um, you've got to have a finger in a few pies in Africa it seems if you're going to make sure make sure some of the deals come investor off investor running it is this a bricks brains brawn split time already in Africa THG um, deal that certainly signifies that. So I, I think it's very interesting how it's going to going to emerge. And you've got to remember, Africa as a continent is, you know, at the end of this century, is is going to be um, sort of a, a continent of close to four billion people um, on on population growth projections. So it's the fastest growing continent by some margin. Um, it's true, and I hear large and diverse. <laughs> yes, it's well. It, it's it's pretty big already, and you know, if if if, if you look at what is what's going to happen over the over the next uh, hundred years, it's going to get uh, going to grow fourfold. So it's it's you know, it, it's a great time to get in there, and if you've got a, a long view, um, it's fantastic opportunities. Yeah, so I should be intrigued to see when the Chinese move, make a move. To what extent that they will be successful there. Well, there we are. The land, Africa remains the land of opportunity. And on that optimistic note, we'll finish our podcast this week. Bye for now.